came to you with my heart in pieces and found the God with healing in his hands. I turned to you, put everything behind me and found the God who makes all things new. I look to you, drowning in my questions, and found the God who holds all wisdom. And I trusted you and stepped out on the ocean. You caught my hand among the waves, cause you're the God of all my days.
Good morning and thank you for joining us for worship wherever you are. This morning, Claire and I should have been travelling home from America, but instead we're going to make a very different journey. A journey with two disciples along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We'll see how Jesus comes to meet with us on that journey, how he's always near us and how he's with us, even in our grief, our questions and our doubts. We'll think about how we can journey well so that we'll recognise Jesus and draw closer to him. So let's worship together. The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said to them, 
what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does, who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place, and moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening those scriptures to us? And that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> I want 
Today's reading is the familiar story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke has just showed how a group of women, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and another woman, have all gone to the tomb of Jesus and found it empty. They found two men in dazzling apparel at the tomb, and they told them that Jesus had risen. The women shared what they'd seen with the disciples. Peter, one of the twelve, ran into the tomb, bent down, saw the linen grave clothes by themselves, and he went home marvelling at what had happened. Luke tells us that it was on the same day, that's on the Sunday when Jesus was raised, that this journey to Emmaus, a village about seven miles from Jerusalem, takes place. The disciples were looking sad, and they were chatting about everything that had happened to Jesus. Like Mary and the other disciples, whose experiences we've talked about over the last few weeks, they must have been grappling with various emotions. Grief, sadness, fear and doubt. 
as they try to process everything that had happened. Many of us will have personal experience of such sad talking, especially in recent times when we've had to communicate about loved ones and friends who are either seriously unwell or have died because of coronavirus. These disciples had trusted Jesus. They'd hoped that he was their new leader, the one that they'd been waiting for, and those hopes had been dashed. Jesus had died a criminal's death on a cross in Jerusalem. Some of the women were saying that he'd risen from the dead. Surely that was a crazy idea. And besides, according to the culture of the day, they were only women, so they could hardly accept their testimony as fact, could they? These two were weary and struggling to make sense of it all. They were sad and hurting. They had many unanswered questions and many doubts. They were talking about what had happened, puzzled about something that just didn't make sense. Luke tells us that one of the two disciples on the road that day was Cleopas, and the other, although unnamed, was perhaps his wife, someone who John tells us was at the cross with Jesus' mother and with Mary Magdalene. Now she would no doubt have needed to talk. She would have had more than her fair share of questions. What on earth had just happened? But perhaps she remains unnamed deliberately, so that you can put yourself right there in the story alongside Cleopas. Perhaps you're invited to journey with him, bringing with you everything that makes you feel heavy laden or confused in life. Your sadness, your disappointment, your grief, your fears, your doubts, and your many questions too. As the disciples journey, Jesus himself physically draws near to them. I think it's worth mentioning here that the language of drawing near is exactly the same language that Jesus uses to talk about the drawing near of the kingdom of God as he begins his own preaching. And it's just the same for us. Jesus journeys with us, meeting us wherever we are on the road and no matter what we carry with us. In the year 2020, this may not mean that he's physically walking alongside us just like he did with Cleopas and his companion, but through the Holy Spirit, he is with us. The disciples are unable to recognise Jesus, but he is nevertheless right there with them. In the middle of a pandemic, we too might struggle to see him, but Jesus is right there alongside us. Sometimes, I think that the baggage we carry with us on the journey prevents us from seeing things clearly. And yet, the Bible tells us that we are blessed if we believe even when we cannot see. In his homilies on the Gospel, Gregory the Great, the 6th century Bishop of Rome, says this about this passage. They didn't in fact have faith in him, yet they were talking about him. The Lord therefore appeared to them, but he didn't show them a face that they could recognise. In this way, the Lord enacted outwardly, before their physical eyes, what was going on in them inwardly, before the eyes of their hearts. For inwardly, they simultaneously loved him and they doubted him. Therefore, the Lord was outwardly present to them, but in the same way he didn't reveal his identity. Since they were speaking about him, he showed them his presence, but since they doubted him, he hid from them his appearance so that they could not recognise him. Perhaps you love Jesus, but you're carrying with you so many unanswered questions 
or doubts that you're afraid to share or to investigate, that in the end you just cannot see him clearly. If that's you, keep listening, because the key to seeing him clearly comes later in the passage. Jesus comes alongside the disciples, and in his questioning he allows those disciples to tell him about their anxieties. He allows them to grieve and to mourn. He listens to them as they pour out their cries and their troubles. You don't have to put on your lipstick and your Sunday best to be able to come to Jesus. You can come just as you are, red-eyed and snotty-nosed if you have to, and he'll be ready to listen. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk cries out to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? In his distress and in faith he waits for God to answer his honest cry, a cry for help in a time of distress and turmoil. Being upset and having doubts through times of trouble isn't a sign of weakness, nor is it evidence of a lack of faith. God actively encourages us to be 100% raw and honest with him, honest about where we're at and to trust him with what comes next. That's deep, true and beautiful faith. The last few weeks has really shown us that the church isn't a building but a group of people. The church is God's family on earth, called to be famous for loving him and loving each other. So we should feel able to be vulnerable as we journey together, able to share our troubles, our questions, our fears and our doubts, knowing that we're not going to become the topic of tomorrow's conversation, or ridiculed, or judged. But let's face it, when we've been part of the church family for a long time, it's hard to admit that we just don't see things clearly, or that we have many doubts. Our own fear of embarrassment or not being good enough prevents us from speaking up, speaking up and sharing about what's truly going on inside of us. But Jesus' response is a pattern for us to follow. He doesn't judge them. He comes alongside the two disciples where they are, travelling alongside them on the journey, guiding them from a place of hopelessness to a place of celebration, nourishing their faith to such an extent that they can see clearly for themselves who he really was. So if you're struggling to see, then just watch what Jesus does next. To enable them to see, he turns to the scriptures of Israel, to the Old Testament. Although many English translations of the Bible say that Jesus explained to them all in the scriptures concerning himself, as if his name was somehow hidden, or that it needed to be pointed out, or that he was just listing the 365 prophetic texts that he, Jesus, fulfilled. There's something more profound going on here, I think. What Jesus begins to do is interpret the scriptures in the light of his own story. The New Testament is emphatic that Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. In other words, the Old Testament points us to Jesus and the New Testament is all about Jesus. So the scriptures make sense of Jesus, but Jesus is also the way to make sense of the scriptures. His life calls for a reinterpretation or perhaps a re-reading of the Old Testament. And it's this revelation, not just Israel's story, that causes the disciples' hearts to burn within them. So if you're questioning, struggling to see things clearly or to make sense of things, 
You just need to read the Bible in the light of Jesus. Trying to journey as a Christian without reading the Bible will prevent us from recognising that Jesus is near us. It'll prevent us from fully experiencing his peace in our struggles and we'll be left confused, questioning and full of doubt. It's a bit like trying to negotiate a strange journey without consulting a road map or using a sat-nav. Or like attempting to make a call on a mobile phone without a SIM card. Or, like I once did, trying to pass an English literature exam without reading the set text. It just doesn't work. Believe me, I flunked the mock exam very quickly and I needed to re-evaluate my approach before I took the real exam. But when we read our Bibles in the light of Jesus, even the most peculiar piece of the jigsaw begins to fall into place. Because when we open the pages of the Bible, we just come as we are and we allow God to speak to us just where we are at that moment. And I can still remember how things began to change for me when I began to read the Bible for myself. Over time, as I read the Bible, it was as if the words began jumping off the page towards me, speaking to me personally and into my life and my situation. Sometimes, to enable that to happen, you just need the help of others, just as the disciples did. So don't be afraid to come alongside others. Why not begin to follow a Bible reading program like the Bible in one year, using it as an opportunity to soak up the wisdom of the commentaries? Tune in online and listen to talks by other Christian leaders. I'd be happy to recommend a few if you were keen to do that. Or why not commit to joining the weekly prayer meeting or the Bible study from the comfort of your own home using Zoom? It's this endeavour to delve into the scriptures that will set your hearts on fire. As things begin to make sense to you, you'll find a new passion and a new enthusiasm for Jesus. As they drew near to the village, Jesus acted as if he was going on further, but the disciples urged him to stay with them. After that, he sat at the table, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it to them, and at that point the Bible tells us that their eyes were opened. Some people have suggested that this is a reminder that we encounter Jesus when we meet together and share communion just as Jesus commanded at the Last Supper. When the two disciples urged Jesus to stay with them, he responded by giving them a way to stay in him, by entering into a profound communion with Jesus through the sacrament of the Eucharist. But is this really what Luke is suggesting? Neither Cleopas nor his wife were present with the disciples at the Last Supper, and besides, there's no wine here. So what's really going on? The language of these verses seems to make a connection with the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. There, we're told that Jesus took the loaves, he looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then, he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. It's really striking that for Luke, this event is associated with a recognition of Jesus' identity. Immediately after it, Peter makes the declaration about Jesus. You are God's Messiah. The opening of their eyes at this point parallels the actions of Jesus on the road in opening the scriptures and it's back to that that they immediately refer. 
Weren't our hearts burning within us when he opened up the scriptures for us on the road? Later, when he meets with them again in Jerusalem, the same pattern is repeated. In verse 24 of the same chapter, we're again told, He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. So seeing here a kind of Eucharistic revelation is perhaps to read our own meaning into the story, something that we ought to be cautious not to do. Any Jew worth their salt who was there when Jesus provided bread for the 5,000 would no doubt have made the connection with a well-known story of how God freed their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. That story was recorded for them and for us in the book of Exodus. Before they could enter the promised land, Moses led them through the wilderness, where they became hungry and had no food to eat. As a sign of his faithfulness, and so that they might believe in him, God fed the hungry crowd manna, bread from heaven, and he promised that one day there would come a leader who was even greater than Moses. That leader would feed their hunger forever. He would be the bread of life, God's promised Messiah. As Jesus broke bread on the mountainside and fed that great crowd, they understood him to be the one that God had promised. Likewise, in today's story, the disciples have been reminded of those promises written in the Old Testament. And once again, as Jesus breaks bread, they see him for who he really is the Messiah, the Son of God. The cross isn't a catastrophic defeat, it's the greatest triumph ever known. As the scriptures promised, it was through his sufferings that Jesus would enter into glory, and it was that way that he'd enable those who don't know God personally to become his friends and part of his family. He died, but he conquered death and he rose again triumphant. His greatness is revealed when he's able to triumph over the strongest power of this world, the power of death itself. And it's by his death that he's been able to set us free from our slavery, the slavery to sinful thoughts, actions and words that have separated us from God, the slavery of gossip, of bitterness, selfishness and greed, the prison of hopelessness and despair the things that prevent us from living life to the full and from loving others as God has loved us. Reading the scriptures opens our eyes to the significance of who he is and the death that he died. It beckons us to put our trust in him, to die to ourselves and to our own agenda and to rise again with him to new life, a life of love and hope, a life lived in all its fullness in this earthly world and in the world to come. Amen. So, having shared those words, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you now in prayer, focusing our minds and our attention on you. Uh, and just want to talk to you, God, um, after whatever the last week has held for us, God. We just come now before you, our Lord. And I want to thank you, God, that you're our Saviour, God, that you're an all-competent God, that you are a powerful God, far greater than coronavirus and any other challenges that we have in our lives. But I want to focus, God, on the fact that you're a companionable God. And in the reading today, you remind us that you walk with us where we're at. You don't, you're not 
in our past where we were. You're not in our future where we're going to be. You're with us right now, where we are right now in our current situation. And you walk with us step by step, going with us where we're going. Jesus, I want to thank you that you're a God that wasn't standing a long way away saying to those two disciples, come back, come back to me. And you weren't standing so far ahead telling them to to come to you. You were just there with them. And there's something incredibly reassuring and encouraging knowing that we worship a God who is just with us. Um, Your Holy Spirit, you are with us in the rooms we are listening to this service in right now. That's the bedroom, a garden, um, the living room, wherever it is. If it's in, um, I don't know, a, a school classroom even, God. If, if people are listening to this in their workplaces, God. I thank you that you're a companionable God um, and we can take comfort in that. And God, I want to praise you and thank you that you are in all the good stuff and you're in all the bad stuff that's going on right now. I thank you that you encourage us just to come and be with you as we are. And again, you didn't you didn't expect those disciples to be all happy and cheerful because you were with them. You just came and walked with them in their confusion and their sadness. You didn't try and boost the morale and get them to be happy or hopeful. You just you met them where they were at with the need that they had and you gave them encouragement and you gave them truth where they were at that helped them go forward to have encouragement and hope and a better future, God. I thank you that in love and patience and compassion you revealed yourself to them and you do the same for us, God. So I just want to, first of all, praise you for for good things that have happened in our lives this week. I want to thank you that in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, there are blessings. We just need to look and that they are there. I thank you for our connection uh, with our church family through um, Zoom prayer meetings and coffee mornings and this church service. I just thank you that there are so many people accessing your word and your family and fellowship online in ways that actually wasn't possible before the pandemic. And that is an amazing thing and a wonderful thing. Um, And I thank you for that. I thank you that, yeah, just good stuff has been made accessible to so many more people than it was before. And God's hand is in that. I want to praise you for that. I want to thank you for the times when actually life might be a bit more peaceful and we get to spend more quality time with the people we love and care about at home. We get to spend time with our pets and they are soothing. And and just, just there are times where we get to stop um, off the rat race of life and just stop and just be a little bit more present in the moment and relax and I I thank you for those blessings if we're having those in our life as well and just for a few seconds I'm just we're just going to lift up those things that we are personally thankful for in our lives over this past week thank you God for your gifts of them And God, we want to lift up the things that are hard, still hard, God. You know them already, but you love it when we actually just talk to you. It's hard, God, living in lockdown again for another week. I think we're in like week seven or eight altogether since it all began. 
living with this fear of this this virus and where is it and what's going to happen in the future and the frustration of life just not being normal lord i've really had longings for more what my old life which was my normal life only two months ago this week real longings to just do normal little things like do journeys that i would normally do go see people so easily god and we're just not able to right now and that's really hard so god i just i pray for all of us with the specific things that we're finding hard this week the things that we're longing to do that we just can't do right now um just in this moment we just lift up those specific things to you acknowledging that that they're hard telling you that we're struggling and we ask you god to help us in the moment today tomorrow in the next week to get through what is hard for us lord please help us with the things that we're finding hard and yeah lord as we go go on through the next week Help us to remember that example of you being the companion of of those two disciples walking down the path to Emmaus. Help us to remember that you're our companion. We may have limited space. We might only be moving from the kitchen to the living room, but you're walking with us on that journey. You never leave us, God. I thank you that you're a God who is close, who is intimate, who is engaged, who is involved, who wants to hear what we have to say to him. I thank you that you love us and you're in this with us, God. Amen. So as our service ends and as we begin another week, I send you all my love and my prayers and I pray that you would be safe and keep well during the week ahead. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.